Welcome to Lorica, the podcast of Father Patrick Cardine, pastor of St. Patrick's Orthodox Church in Bealton, Virginia. St. Patrick's is a parish in the Antiochian Orthodox Christian Archdiocese of North America, serving the Western Rite. Father Patrick is also the administrator of the Orthodox West. Our epistle this morning is from Colossians, and let me read that to you. Colossians chapter 1, verses 12 through 20. Brethren, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence, for it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell, and having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. The word, the word came down. From his eternal throne of majesty, and he entered into the society of Jews living in Palestine, occupied by the Romans. When he did this, he ceased to be simply, simply the bodiless, eternally begotten Son of the Father, and he became a Jewish human baby, the Son of Mary, flesh of her flesh. He also became the adopted son of Joseph. He entered into a particular society, in a particular time and place. He learned the trade of carpentry. He became a farmer. He planted seed. He was somewhat a vintner, either in reality or at least metaphorically. He tended vines. He was a shepherd. He watched over sheep. He was a builder a manager, a healer, a teacher. He was even a slave and a servant who washed people's feet. He was, in today's parlance, he was a group leader. (laughs) He lived and he grew and he functioned within a society, a community of persons. Persons in relationship with one another, living under a political system. They had a cultural norm and formation that he was a part of, that he lived within. All of these roles he took upon himself within this particular society, and he fulfilled each one of them perfectly. But each one was really a step. It was a building block. It was on the way to his really his meridian role, the office that he would ultimately come to fill. His crowning achievement as the God-man was to return to his majestic throne from which he came, but to return not as disembodied 
God, but as glorified man. He returns as the God-man made king and absolute sovereign over all. His original plan in coming down here in the first place was to return. That's why he came. He came down so that he could go up. But he would take with him, in him, through him, he would take man on high. And he would present man to the Father. And the Father would find man acceptable. And the Father would coronate him, this God-man. He would crown him as king. Now in the hours just before his death, he is interrogated by Pilate, who asks, Are you the king of the Jews? There's a bit of exchange back and forth we heard in our gospel this morning. But Jesus eventually answers and says, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause was I born, and for this cause I have come into the world. He is a king. He came preaching the kingdom. John the Baptist came preaching the kingdom. And Christ came preaching the kingdom. And he is a king. And he is known to us now as king of kings and lord of lords. But we know that his kingdom, of course, as he informed Pilate, was not of this world. His kingdom does not function according to the corrupt principles of a fallen world. And yet he is a very real king with a very real kingdom. He came down from on high. He descended very, very low. And after descending, he ascended. And as he ascended, he filled every strata of human society as he went. He rose higher and higher. And he redeemed everything as he passed through it until he came unto the summit of his majestic throne and he was handed a scepter and he was given all authority and power and rule and dominion and an eternal kingdom. This Jesus, son of Mary, is risen on high and he is the God-man, king of all creation. He is king of everything, whether seen or unseen, whether in heaven and on earth, of thrones and principalities, and of all kingdoms. Our epistle lesson this morning, taken from St. Paul's letter to the Colossians, begins with verses 12 and 13. I'm going to add, it ends uh, with verse 20, our lesson does, but I want to add a few verses after that, verses 21 through 23, that encapsulates this uh, pericope, this reading. But the first couple of verses and the last couple of verses sort of say the same thing. He recapitulates at the end what he says at the beginning. And he says at the beginning in verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. Before commenting on this, I'd like to just point out this wonderful phrase, the son of his love. What a beautiful phrase that is in a way of referring to Jesus Christ as the son of his love. So, he speaks here of an inheritance of light. The inheritance of light. We are inheritors of the light. It's really Christ's inheritance that he shares with us. This is certainly the glory of God. The inheritance of light. The light is God himself. He is the light. 
and we inherit God of very God. Those who qualify inherit him. Those who are fit to receive that fire and not be consumed by it. So to be qualified is to be made a saint, to be made holy. And St. Paul in this passage thanks God that God has qualified us to be partakers of that inheritance of light. That inheritance which belongs to the firstborn son, by the way. He has qualified us because he has delivered us from the power of darkness. From the power of sin and death and the devil. He's redeemed us. He set us free. We are no longer slaves to corruption and sin. We are no longer slaves to love of the world. We've been translated out of the kingdom of this world and into the kingdom of his dear son. We no longer belong to a society of corruption. Or at least we shouldn't belong to a society of corruption. He has set us free. He has conveyed us into the kingdom, as St. Paul says, of the son of his love. Now if we jump to the end of this passage... Verses 21 and 22, St. Paul repeats the same idea. He says, And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. You were an enemy of God. We all were enemies of God. Think of that. We were enemies of God. But Jesus reconciled us to God through his human fleshly body when he died on the cross and rose again. And our conscience has been cleaned and cleansed from wicked works and shame. And then Paul says, we have been presented blameless and holy To God the Father in heaven. We have been presented blameless and holy to God the Father in heaven. How? How and when were you and I presented blameless and holy to God the Father in heaven? Well, there was an event. There was an event in the life of Christ which occurred. And the effects of that event are ongoing and ever-present. So this is a historical event, but it is an event that is ever-present and ever-happening, even occurring at this very moment and will be for all eternity. The event, of course, is the ascension of the Son of Man. When he ascended into heaven, accompanied by the angelic host, trumpeting his majestic return, the glorified God-man, the conqueror of death, and reconciler of all creation to God, he entered into that heavenly tabernacle, and he presented before God the Father, in himself, a new humanity, holy and blameless. He presented us in him before the Father. An acceptable sacrifice, an acceptable and pleasing offering to God. And he said... As he came there into the Holy of Holies. Here I am. Here I am. And the children. Whom God has given me. Here I am and the children whom God has given me. 
Because He is in us, we have the hope of glory. And because we are in Him, we are blameless before God as children of God, in Him, through Him, by Him. His presentation of His brethren, you and I, and children before God is ongoing. He's still there in heaven before the Father. And we are still in Him there before the Father. And every Eucharistic feast that we participate in, that is going on around the world, we are manifesting and realizing and sharing in this very reality. King Jesus has made our peace with God. As we read in verse 15 of our epistle, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. The Son is the image of the invisible God because He is the only one through which we can come to know the Father. We as created beings cannot come to know the Father except through Jesus the Son. And Jesus said, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. God is one and indivisible, and yet at the same time, within the triune Godhead, each of the distinct persons have a unique way of being God. That is their distinction. A unique way of being God. The Son, Jesus Christ, is the image of the Father and the brightness of His radiance. That is His unique way of being God. The Son, as the wisdom of God, the Son, as the Word of God, mediates the Father to creation. He makes the Father known and knowable to finite creatures. He's not less divine because of this role as mediator. This is His unique divine identity of being Son. The next phrase in verse 15 sort of begins to unpack this role as mediator between the Godhead and creation. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. He is the firstborn over all creation. Firstborn means both temporally, he comes first. You know, I have a firstborn. Those of you with children with more than one have a, well, even if you just have one, you have a firstborn. The firstborn is the one who is born first. But the firstborn also has preeminence and rank. So firstborn, in biblical language, is the one who comes first temporally, and they also have the preeminence and the rank. In the Old Testament, the firstborn got double inheritance. The firstborn, according to the law, was, could never be cut out of the inheritance. Now, temporally, we might immediately think, Jesus of Nazareth was not the firstborn. He was born much later. There were many others in creation itself born before he actually came into this world in human flesh. And yet we understand that the very idea in the mind of God of creation originates in and through the incarnation. God first has the idea of the Son becoming man. All things were created by Him and for Him and through Him. He is before all things and in Him all things consist. Everything that exists is held together in Jesus Christ. He is the firstborn in this sense. 
The Son of Man is the impetus and the origin of all things. And everything lives and moves and has its being in Him. He is the firstborn of creation. And He has preeminence. His is the inheritance. And He has risen among His brethren to the highest rank of absolute sovereignty over all. Verse 18, and He is the head of the body, the church who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. He's also the firstborn from the dead. Not only the firstborn of creation, but the firstborn from the dead. That in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself. By him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. On this wonderful feast of Christ the King, it's an opportunity for us to ask ourselves, as we emphasize the monarchy of the Son, the absolute authority and sovereign power of Jesus Christ the Lord, the God-man, how do we relate to Jesus when you think of Jesus? How do you think of him? What do you think of when you pray? How does he seem to you? What image? dominates your impression of Jesus Christ. Jesus the shepherd, the teacher, the elder brother, the servant, the healer. He is certainly all of these things in a sense. He is very adept. He's good at all this stuff. He's a great vintner, Matthias. He's a great vintner. He's a good shepherd, a good teacher. Great, the best. But what is he? What is he? Ultimately, what is, the, what is the summit to which he arose? How does it end? What's the teleos? What's the consummation of it all? The consummation is he is king. That's the consummation. Think of him as carrying the little lamb on his shoulders. That's nice. That's good. That should be part of your image of him. But when you pray, when you bow down, when you think of your life, you think of him as your sovereign as your king, to whom you owe obedience and worship and your whole life. That is how we should think of him, primarily. And he has established a new society, a new community, a new kingdom. And we are that kingdom. Right here, this is our society. A society is made up of people who have relationship with one another they exist within a culture and language. And there is an authority. There is a political authority. An economic authority. And a culture that holds them together. They have laws and rules by which they live and abide. And that is the sense in which we are to understand our life together. I think we would make a great error in getting a little too platonic about the kingship of Christ. To, you know, immaterial, spiritual in that sense. It's not really the correct understanding of spiritual, but common parlance, when we think of spiritual, we think of sort of this disembodied, abstract, spiritual thing. No, we need to think of Christ, the man, the glorified man as our sovereign king, crowned and holding a scepter, who is ordering and governing this society, this group of people living together in communion. And if we go out from this society and we attach ourselves to the world, 
and live as if that's our society, we are in disobedience to the king. We have forsaken the kingdom that he has given us. This is our community. This is our world. This is our society. And we will relate to Christ as our sovereign Lord and King. Then we will have the fear of God in us. A good and holy and reverential fear. And we won't go out and align ourselves. Make ourselves member of the society of a corrupt world. He actually concludes in verse 23. This passage saying that all this will happen. And you are presented before him which we are in this Eucharist today. Christ is there in the heavenly tabernacle. In his flesh with his wounds in his side and in his, the, the, the holes in his forehead from the crown of thorns in his hands and his feet. He stands before the Father. He offers himself continually for all eternity in love, the son of his love. And we are there in him represented before the Father in him. And we are presented there before God. And because of that we are made members of this new society and kingdom. If indeed, he says in verse 23, if Indeed, if indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you have heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You have been listening to Father Patrick Cardine, pastor of St. Patrick's Orthodox Church in Bealton, Virginia. This has been a production of the Orthodox West.